Hello, this is uh, Matt Hale bringing you the Art Monthly talk show. Um, this is a talk show based on pieces written in Art Monthly magazine. This programme is based on issue number 441, November 2020, where we'll, we'll discuss two features from the magazine. And just before I go any further, I'll just remind you that if you want to read these features, the best way to do it is to subscribe to Art Monthly, which you can do for £46 or... £56 will bring you print and digital subscription, or Just Digital will bring you one for £8.99 per quarter. Basically, Direct Debit brings you the cheapest version. Um, today, I'm joined by Tom Denman and Sophie J. Williams. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. Um, we're, 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 first time we've done this on Zoom with um, two people at once, as in three people talking. Um, we've previously done a programme... Uh, where we record one person and then follow on by recording the next one. But we're giving it a try, a bit more like the normal talk show where we are in the studio at Resonance. This programme goes out on Resonance FM and it's also available on Art Monthly's website and it's also available at many podcasts. Um, so wherever you get your podcasts from, if you put talk, Art Monthly talk show and you can download it from there. But um, we're going to try and do it a bit like the normal programme where we used to have conversations. So the idea is we're going to talk about their features, Sophie's and Tom's and they will ask each other questions as, as well as myself to try and get across to you what they're about what they've been thinking and where their um, initiative or idea came to write about what they have covered um, and then encourage you to read it okay we're going to start with Tom uh, Tom's uh, art feature in Art Monthly was called The Limits of Subjectivity and uh, the intro says that he, Tom argues that a growing number of artists including Toyin Oje Odutola and others um, have been exploring the possibilities of modernism to counteract existing paradigms of race and representation. Tom, um, basically, just my initial response to, uh, particularly because your art features mostly about Toyin Oje Odutola's work. I'm yeah. probably not saying that quite right, but I'm trying to. Is that she was fundamentally, and I think she says it herself, is that she's a portrait painter. That, that may not be, that, I don't think that's really all she is, but that she does say that. Um, would you agree? I think it's quite, it's quite difficult to pigeonhole um, her in that way. And even if she does say that that's what, what she is, I think that mainly because well, it's quite difficult really to now to say what is and isn't is not a portrait. Um, uh, and her scenes, she, she paints scenes really, um, which is somewhere between portraits. They also come from kind of a, a genre painting tradition in some respect. But I, I don't, I don't like thinking them too, attaching them too inextricably to traditions. Um, uh, Look, I don't, I don't know because the figures are rarely identified. So, what? Um, so, in that sense, they're not portraits because you don't know who they're of. Well, not, not, not in a traditional sense. Um, it's not something I really, I never, I never, when when I was looking at them, I never really thought of them as portraits as such. And even when she uses herself as a model, I don't think that necessarily it's profitable to think of them as images of well they could be any of them could be thought of as images of herself um or um and they could be of herself or they could be of something else um but i don't think there's a it's distinct i don't i don't i don't like um being too um circumscript um when it comes to what is and what isn't um in the picture well no problem at all i i just it, it, it was it was more that um, you talk particularly at the beginning about one called The Day You Finally See It. Yes. You, t tell us a bit about, about that particular one, because you, you, you give it a fair bit of um, yes. space. Um, that's, a, that's a fascinating um, uh, picture. It's, it's, a, um, it's, it's not illustrated in, in the article. It's a, um, it, was, it was painted during lockdown, or it was actually drawn during lockdown, because they're actually all drawings, technically speaking. Yeah, was it a um, show? At, was it a show at Jack Shaman Gallery? She had. It a, was it a show in Jack at Jack Shaman, an online exhibition there. 
um, um, and um, which, which, which I don't remember the name of at, at this moment. But they've got an online exhibition there during lockdown, and, and the works are made during lockdown. But, oh, yeah, uh, should, we should say, shouldn't we, really, that she's currently got a show at the Barbican. That's uh, right, yes. That, that, that's in the right. Curve Gallery. I think it goes that's on right, yes. January 24th. Uh, uh, the Jack the Jack Shaman show was called Tell Me a Story. I don't care if it's true. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, in which she she shows these very small works, um, which are often framed in a, in a, mounted um, in a in a white on a white board um, with the illustration or the image, and then some handwritten um, kind of free writing prose poetry. At some other point in the within the frame, just um, ask you about that briefly. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that those texts were written by somebody else, i.e., they're like quotes, or did you find that out? Because I wasn't quite sure if she'd written them or no, if they she were. Wrote. She did. Yeah, yeah. But they reminded um, me of of the way the presentation within this mm-hmm. sort of image and text mm-hmm. is, is quite almost like conceptual art in its presentation mm-hmm. wasn't yes, it i, know I think it, they, they i think they they asked anyway the way i responded to them was almost as, as something that was conceptual um they they can be easily i think that they're they're, they're 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 slightly they're something slightly tricky about them in some ways because you you look at them and you think it's just at, at, at first one might think well they're they're pretty pictures i mean for want of a better a better better way of putting it but then I started seeing some other dynamics taking place in them, which I thought was actually very interesting, conceptually, actually quite profound. And the, yes, yeah, so back, back to that image, what, what, what struck me was that she's managed to, she has a lot of, a lot of her pictures are actually of, of the backs of people's heads. And you can't actually see what they're looking at. And, and she's, she's keeping you out of the picture. And that's something which struck me um, in particular. Um, which has, which I think has a lot to do. With, I, I I thought there was um, there's a there's a, it, it's 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 a sensitive topic putting um, uh, black bodies in an art museum. Um, to be to be frank about it, um, uh, the museum, the exhibitionary complex, um, as uh, as uh, Tony Bennett, sociologist, described it, is. Um, derives from a um, uh, is, is, is a um, theatre of power um, um, traditionally, um, and I think there is a there and I and I and I, and I began to notice that there were there were certain conscious sometimes I don't know if they're they're always conscious but I noticed there were some sort of tactics of resistance within the works, um, whether it be in the the um, kind of signage of skin the um, uh, kind of the, that, that kind of site of that site of racial difference, um, um, site of racial inscription, um, or whether it be in the framing of the works. Um, and I noticed in Oji Odutola's work, there there are there are often ways in which the viewer is kept out. Their sub- subjectivity is somehow reinforced by this exclusion of the viewer. And one of the and 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 she re- resorts them to. Mod, I, I use the word modernism, this kind of um, modernist techniques, if, if you like. Um, um, I, I had in mind um, paintings of the Baroque period, like um, Las Meninas or the sort of Dutch. Um, That's Vel- Velasquez. Velasquez, yes. Um, or a lot of the Dutch um, uh, paintings in which you have these um, alternate worlds um, and systems of representation from which the viewer is excluded and they create these enigmas. Um, and um, um, and bearing in mind Foucault's famous essay on on um, on uh, Velázquez's Les Malas Meninas, um, uh, in which there's this interplay of of looking being looked at, of, of mirroring of, um, of windows um, and and mirrors, and there's so I, I I found that this work in particular, the day you finally see it. Is particularly exciting the way it kind of replays a lot of these pictorial dynamics, um, so that they pertain partly to the to, to, to questions of 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 
questions of race, um, uh, which she has said in interviews that she doesn't really want to be um, represented or seen as somebody trying to directly um, express, for want of a better word, a, 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 an identity. Um, she doesn't want to engage directly in identity politics. But nonetheless, the, the, the figure, particularly in this, if you like, traditional um, uh, representational form, um, the black figure in the museum does stand out um, um, for, for, for on, on account of its exclusion in, in, um, um, in, in, in historically or presently. Um, so there are there there is a, there is an there is a discourse that is unavoidable, um, and, um, and and actually I'm thinking also I mean the fact that the fact that the Tate will be showing um, Dinette Yedom um, um, uh I don't know when it will be. It was meant to open this month, but obviously during because of lockdown, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But in in, in the Tate, Britain of all places, and I'm, I'd be very curious to know what it feels like to walk through that museum and then come across these paintings of black bodies in 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 the in the in the Sugar Museum, if you like, and the yeah. um, and uh, you know having walked through these rooms of of Ramsey, of Reynolds, of Sargent, it would be quite interesting to to, to know what that. What that, what, that, what that actually feels like as an experience um, um, with, the, with, a, with, a, with, with even, the, even a tiny bit of historical um, uh, contextual knowledge. Um, and, and, and so I'm, I'm, I became particularly interested in these, I would call them tactics of resistance within the pictures, a way of affirming subjectivity. How do you affirm your subjectivity in this medium, um, in, in, this, in the exhibitionary space? She's, um, sorry, Sophie, do put your hand up if you, if you want to speak as well, because I, I don't want it to just be me. But um, I, I understand that she's Niger uh, Odutola is Nigerian originally, moved to America and, and, and lived in the, it lives, or lives in the south of, of the US, I, I think. Um, uh, she, and she grew up in the south, yeah, but I think she's yeah. in New York. Okay, New York now. But, but, but she, she's choosing to paint in a way in a very just crudely speaking a western sort of mm -hmm. genre uh really do you think and then and i was interested at one point though you i think you talk about the background in one uh this is how you were made i think it is there's references mm -hmm. to nigeria mm -hmm. and possibly ways of painting i don't know uh as well in in this so it's like mixing is, is she mixing um well, uh, artistic um, histories and, uh, and, and cultural different uh, histories as well in these works. I, I, think, it, I think it's a lot of it's about, about subjectivity again and memory. Um, she grew up in, she, she was born in Nigeria and moved as a child to, to America. And it's trying, it's, 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 a, personal, it's a personal reconnection. Right. Um, um, I think the cultural aspects of it are not thought out in a, in a, um, I think she has said in an interview, she has said, you know, this is not about some sort of cultural investigation as much as a personal one. And um, of course the cultural difference comes into that. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's important. Um, and as for the style, I know that um, um, when she, when she, she, she said that she learned English when she came to um, America by reading manga and anime books and she has a fascination in manga which I found particularly interesting because I um, there's a there's a uh, Japanese sociologist um, I can't remember his name uh, Koichi Koichi Iwabuchi his name is. and he, he described the style as culturally odorless ah. which is particularly interesting for somebody who has come from a um, culturally odorless in that it is something that is easily exported it doesn't necessarily bespeak Japan um, and I find that particularly interesting as uh, in the context of Odi Odotola's work, because she's kind of using a style that cannot be easily placed in, 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 terms, of, in terms of, I mean, yes, it, it, yes, ultimately it probably derives largely from Western art. I mean, a lot of manga art is, is, is in some ways is a fusion of, of East and West, but, it's, but it, doesn't, it doesn't scream out um, um, tradition. It doesn't scream out um, ethnicity. 
um, and and in that in that sense, I found that I found that quite quite interesting. And I think I would have liked to, obviously, if I had time or, or space, I would have liked to have explored that. Yeah. Um, so Sophie, come in. But I I was wondering if that's you you had a, you used a really wonderful phrase there, tactics of resistance, in terms of the mm. way that she um, creates her her compositions and her the way that she depicts um, people. But um, I wonder if that also um, manifests in different ways than the other examples of the artists that you use in the article. Yes, I think I think so. Um, I've looked at uh, Kerry James Marshall's work, um, and there's a there's a particular painting that's discussed at length um, in in a in a book which was published by David Zierna, Zierna, um, uh called The History of Painting. And the, but the painting itself is called Underpainting, and it's discussed by Hal Foster, um, and um, in which he presents a museum full of black people looking at artwork. You can't actually see a lot of the artwork, but they can. Um, and he has two labels in the middle. So he, has, he, he, paints, he paints a painting and he paints a museum wall and he puts two labels in the middle. One of them it describes him as African-American and the other one describes him as American. And it's, it's, it's enigmatic. I don't know, it's, it's difficult to say exactly, you know, translate exactly the, any particular meaning in this, but, but there, there is certainly a, a, a tension um, of, and, and questions of ownership or um, uh, scopic economy, if you like, um, within, within the works from which the viewer is partly, partly um, excluded. And that, so I think certainly in, in, the, in, that, in that painting, um, and also I, I noticed this is something, which, this is something which I'd like to investigate a bit further in his recent work, recent in that catalogue, um, all the paintings um, in the description um, are described as being framed by the artist. And I think that's quite interesting. I don't know exactly what that means. Does he make the frame? Does he choose the frame? But that is a particularly interesting thing to point out because what does that mean? You know, it's like him saying, okay, I'm going to show this work, but I am showing this work. You are representing me, but I'm also representing myself. I'm not giving myself up entirely here. Which I find particularly interesting. Also, back to um, Yedon Boakwe, she paints. I haven't really looked into her that closely, but from what I gather, she, she she paints from imagination. So these figures, which look at painted in a kind of traditional realist impressionistic way, um, are cut come from her head. So there again, there's that distance, there's that gap, um, uh, which I think is quite quite exciting. Um, and, and, and I think, I think there are more of these things can be unturfed in, in, in some of the other artists mentioned, but um, um, I think also the sight of skin is particularly important. Um, how there's this, um, how a lot of painters seem to have their own signature skin. Um, and it's almost, uh, for me, it, there seems, seems to be some kind of way of reclaiming a sight that is often, well, it is, it is, it is kind of the, the, the sight of difference. Um, for, um, uh, uh, on which, into which um, uh, race is inscribed. And so to kind of re-inscribe it in one's own personal way, subjective way, is again a way of kind of, I think a way of kind of reclaiming that, the, um, the image and, and, and kind of extracting it from, or re-extracting it, um, taking it back. Um, um, so it's a bit like saying this is, this is, um, you know, you, you, you know, you or, or, or um, history has, has called us, uh, said that this is the black body. I'm saying that this is my body. Um, and, and so there's something, there's some kind of dynamic um, like that taking place. You, you, you mentioned in your piece, Lucian Freud, you talk about white skin and black skin. And, and I probably mm -hmm. quote you wrong, but you, in Lucian Freud, you seem to be saying, I think um, basically you're not aware of the color of the skin, but of the flesh. But that there was yes, I think that's something was that, that was somehow impossible if you painted black skin, I, or, or was there was a complication and difference. Yes, talk about that a little bit. There is a complication. I think so. Yeah. Um, um, the exhibition "All Too Human" is quite a, a quite a funny title. Um, but but the um, which, which took place a few years ago. Um, with, with, with a painting by Lucien Freud on the front cover of, of, um, of um, Lee Bowery. Um, and I think, 
yes, they had that, that painting, that exhibition did include black painters and black bodies. Um, but we, we think, look at Lucien Freud, there's an abundance of white flesh. Um, we're kind of suffocated in, in white flesh. Um, this kind of, oh, this stuff of humanity. Um, the black body, we don't, and it's interesting, actually, how we find with Jenny Savile as well. We find these paintings which seem sort of kind of exuberant um, when, when it comes to it comes to the representation of flesh. With, with, with all these black painters, black painters of the black body, rather, it's it's it's, it's it, I mean, the philosopher um, Achille or Achille, I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name. Remember, the um, Cameroonian philosopher talks about it as an excess, as blackness as being a sign in excess of all signs, um, and we, it's, 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 it's as if um, the, the, race, the racial aspect gets in the way. Um, um, uh, Tony Morrison talked about the problem with racism. One of the main key things about racism was that it was a distraction. You know, people want to, people want to get on with their own lives. They want to think about race all the time. And but, that's what Adula um, wants as well. Uh, but, 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 and, and I think that that is, Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. That's something I could look, look into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, sorry, I, I we, um, we had a little glitch yes, so technically. Oh really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Just, just um, say, just say. I was just saying. Do you think that's what a jeweler wants, uh, or, uh, uh, as well, to, to get on with her? And and she 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 puts all this patterning in the skin, doesn't she? Almost like abstract yes. paint. Yes, I think she's trying to abstract. Trying trying to trying to. Um, uh, trying to confuse us, not, not confuse us, but trying to confuse the, uh, complicate the, um, the tendency to taxonomize um, yeah. and, uh, and reclaim it. I, mean, I, I, I thought, thought of it when I first saw um, some, of these, some of these paintings, I thought about, um, and I have, a, I have a very, very layman's knowledge of quantum physics, but it made me think of, of quantum mechanics and the language used of, of multiplicity, of, um, of, of, of there no, not really being boundaries or borders between between um, between people, um, this this very fluid um, uh, right. relation between 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 bodies and and, and space and um, and indeterminacy, um, uh, non locality. These things sort of came to mind, and I think that there's, there's some sort of play of that taking place. I'm not saying that it's she she does she paints these things thinking about or draws these these, these um, pictures thinking about quantum physics. But I think that the language of quantum physics is quite opens up quite a lot, especially when we think that a lot of racial um, taxonomizing historically has been based on Newtonian or um, uh, or, 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 or or science claims claims claims. Oh, yes, yes. Um, Sophie, did you have any other? There's no problem at all if you don't. We'll probably move over to your feature very soon. Did you want to ask him anything, Tom? Anything else, or sh shall we? Shall we have a go with? Well, uh, well, maybe it would be nice later. It was interesting just hearing you there talking about uh, indeterminacy and the blurring of boundaries between people because that's something which yeah, that I've does that goes so across. Been... Let's go across to your feature because that you're right. That, that's a nice um, connection, isn't it? Um, Sophie, you, you, your feature is called "The Ties That Bind" in Art Monthly, um, and, and the opening paragraph says the drawing drawing from her own experience, Sophie. Williamson finds that while death is a common subject in Western art, the intimate experience of dying and of the body in all its corporeality remains something of a taboo, both in art and in society. Um, just what was start? I would I think it'd be interesting to hear you say what was the um, impetus for for writing this this piece for you. Um, yeah, that introduction is um, quite a sweet intro by. Patricia and Chris, but um, really, I, I guess my reason for wanting to write it was um, an interest between, you know, this very profound, very intimate experience of being with somebody in their dying weeks or hours or moments, their last breaths, which I've had the privilege of experiencing um, quite a few times throughout my life. And, you know, it's something which we'll all experience. We're all going to lose loved ones during our life um, but it's something which we maybe don't have the language to describe very well um, it's not something which 
the kind of intimacy in the moments of dying isn't something which we um we embrace before the moment comes really so you know we we ex we kind of consume death as a subject matter in art um certainly in popular culture in fiction and in in films but um those actual um intimate moments of being with somebody in their last moments is rarely touched upon within popular culture i think um and and so i was trying to find examples of that in contemporary art and and i was finding that quite difficult as well um and where i really found any kind of common ground was in bondage practices so really it's an article that's about these intimacies that we might find in these places where um there's this um blurring between two bodies as tom touched on um just now and where there's this um uh blurring between um responsibility and vulnerability in the space and i think that's something which i found really special of being uh with people on their deathbeds is that it's not that the person caring is the one responsible and the one who's dying is the one that's vulnerable it's a shared space of vulnerability and and responsibility um and so the the reason for wanting to write the article was was because i'd found that kind of shared space of um vulnerability and responsibility in in bondage practices and wanted to see how that might play out in um various art forms as well yeah that's a, it's a very interesting comparison of of experiences i i i think um i yeah maybe i think also maybe it sounds a bit controversial when i say it in those terms no no i no i i think it's obviously important to try to explain which you have which you are doing what the connection is yeah um, so i think uh, that um first of all i should say when i'm talking about bondage practices i'm not talking about bdsm i'm talking about um shibari and a more kind of sensual bondage practice um and it was through conversations with an old friend um who's an artist and a, a bondage rope artist at kit cat club in berlin um and we'd both had this experience of being with people on their deathbeds and through those conversations we kind of found this real affinity between when you're with somebody on their deathbed you your body becomes this kind of empath takes on this empathetic language so when they take a breath and this is something which i'm sure many people have experienced of being in this space which is almost like a universe in its in itself this this one room takes on um so much weight and as they breathe you breathe and uh as they inhale you hold your breath waiting for them to exhale and there's a real similarity there with how you have this empathetic language between two people's bodies as happens in within um the space of bondage so when your body is tied and you hand over that agency to the person that's tying there's this real responsibility of the um the person that's doing the tire tying of being able to align themselves um um very astutely and very intimately with the other person's body of being able to read the language of their breaths of um the minutiae of the way that their muscles move and i think as the person being bound you're also very aware of your body in a way which you're not normally and that kind of um experiences experience of feeling the real um corporal experience of the body only comes to light in these very kind of pressured moments of heightened awareness and heightened um uh sensitivity to your senses so i think in the in the sick room you're using all your senses of of um of touch and of smell and of you know listening to 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 the other person's body and that same attention to detail in the way that we use our senses um is at play in, in bondage as well where you have to um read your surroundings both as the person who's bound where your um awareness is heightened through all of your senses 
and the person that's doing the binding where they have to um, read these um, very small gestures from the other person. It sounds slightly not quite the same as, as the experience of being with someone. Cause I thought it was really nice the way you said when somebody, when you're with someone who's dying, you're both, it's quite equal. You're both vulnerable. Am I, quoting, sure. am I quoting you correctly there? Uh, it, I, well, I'm not sure this is, it, it's equal, but there's this blurring between responsibility and vulnerability. Right. Um, and I think that the place of the bondage of bondage practices also takes on that blurring between vulnerability and responsibility that um you know to be the person bound you're not just the one that's vulnerable the person that's doing the tying is also in a position of vulnerability because they are some they're put in a position of being responsible for somebody else's body oh i see what you're saying yes okay i've got it i've got it (laughs) (laughs) sorry Um, it's it's nice to clarify Yeah, so that's where the article came from. And then um, and then I looked at that various different writers and artists and their approaches to, to these intimate spaces. So um, in particular, um, I looked at Barbara Hammer's um, amazing lecture that you can watch online in 2018, which was her kind of parting gift to the world. So she, um, she was dying of cancer and she did a um, performance lecture that she repeated several times um, called The Art of Dying. And I think that she was really interested in this, this same problematic as, as I've been interested in is we're so scared about talking about dying as the subject as a reality of life that um we don't have the language and the tools for it when it comes and so um yeah she talked in in her in her lecture about that there's this fear of talking about death so therefore it's almost as if by not mentioning it and not discussing it all it will disappear um so yeah i kind of um I wanted to find ways where I think, I think there are artists that have come close to um, certainly artists that have tried to, um, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned Sophie Cal and Bill Viola, don't you? As, as people who haven't succeeded really for you. I don't personally, I don't feel in <laughs> the same level of heightened emotion and heightened senses. Um, would you say it was there, particularly Bill Viola, perhaps is, is, is theatrical without yeah. being real in some way? Personally, Bill Viola is, is theatrical. I think Sophie Cowles is, is tricky because, you know, it's, it's quite a long shot that she has of, it's, it's, it's a, she's filmed um, over many hours. Um, her mother kind of passing away and is this very blurred space and I think that's what the work does do well is recognizing um, that that dying isn't just a a moment it's this kind of long drawn out thing and that's something which Barbara Hammer talks about in her work actually as well is that you know that we're always in this process of dying that death is innately part of living Um, but yeah I struggle to find find works which really um, put the viewer in that place of of, um, uh, acknowledging or or coming close to feeling those emotions of being in that space. Stephen Eastwood does um, get close, I think, in his film Island, um, where he has this wonderful static shot, which is seven minutes long. And during the documentary, you've come to to, um, get to know that the man who's who he's filming, Alan Hardy, um, and you've, he's been living in a in a hostel and has been coming to terms with um, his imminent um, death through conversations with Stephen Eastwood and having this seven minute shot where you know that he takes his last breath comes close to it, but still then um, watching somebody on screen die is. Uh, still at a distance and so I think that there's works which um, artists have come much closer to but not necessarily in dealing with the subject of death Um, so I use the example for example of um, 
Nana de Boer's work of this film, Dissonant, which she made in 2010, which has stuck with me as one of my favorite works that she's made, um, where there's a dancer on screen who repeats the same dance around and around, and she's kind of thumping her um, hands on the floor and her feet, and um, each time she completes the dance, she comes back to the camera, and it's been filmed in 16 millimeter film. Um, and the, the reel is changed over. And so there's this moment when the film reel is being changed where the screen goes black. And you can hear her panting. And each time she repeats the dance, she's panting more and more and more. And so um, inevitably, when you watch that film, and when I watched it, um, I was in a gallery space by myself, so it was maybe even more poignant. You uh, become aware of that universe that sits within the body of um, and not just the way that we think about our own uh, fragility of, of the body, but how we have this bodily empathy with other people. And so in those moments where the screen goes black, you inevitably end up mimicking your breathing with the dancers on screen, which I think is something which happens in, in both those other places of the sickbed and the bondage studio. Um, so I was looking at this kind of bodily um, empathy um, through various different writers, um, predominantly through Kathy Ackley's text, um, which is called Against Ordinary Language, The Language of the Body, and also Yukio Mishima um, in his writing Sun and Steel. Both of them come at it from a very different perspective. Um, Kathy Acker's text, which I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with, um, talks about her experience of um, going to, to the gym to bodybuild. And so for somebody whose whole practice is based around writing, she really struggles to use language to describe what happens within the gym, where this other language takes over, this language of the body, where words can't describe this um, physical language that that revolves around muscles communicating to one another, of the breath being a device to delineate time. And likewise, Yuko Mishima, um, who's also, whose practice also completely revolved around writing, found the same in, in bodybuilding and later in boxing, of um, there being this entire universe in the body of awakening dormant muscles that had since died which are no longer needed for contemporary life um, and both of those writers push their bodies in a way that um, forces uh, a relationship to mortality uh, and the vulnerability of the body but also um, acknowledges this language of the body that goes beyond linguistics um, and I thought that was a really interesting um, relationship to the intimacy of dying where maybe um, there's a way of coming through that, not just thinking about one's own body, but about how you might expand that out to incorporate that level of intimacy with the body with somebody else's. Tom, did you want to ask anything? Don't worry if you don't. Um. Well, actually, there's some things which which struck me, particularly about the article. Um, uh, this kind of idea of transcendence through self-negation or sensory negation, just kind of restriction. Um, mm -hmm. How that, and you mentioned when the screen on 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 the on the video goes black, and you can hear the panting, like yeah. taking away vision in some yeah, way yeah. takes you, trans, transports you somewhere um, out of your body. And um, I, I, it, it, it resonated with some of the interests that I have in um, uh, my, my past studies have been on, on Caravaggio, so different period, but, but he, he paints the Christ bound and tied to a column being whipped. And this is, a, a, um, this is an experience that also a lot of his viewers would have uh, participated in and empathized with. And they would empathize with the body of Christ, and that's, that's a tradition already. 
but also they would have whipped themselves as a way of suppressing the senses um, in order and in order to elevate the soul um, in order to prepare oneself for death and bring oneself to um, out of oneself and it's interesting how in what, I, what interesting how in your article you seem to be um, following um, uh, how in a, in, a, in a secular world um, um, and not necessarily and, and although people talk about spirituality now still you seem to be following how in a secular world not not necessarily that directly pertains to spirituality for example the context of the gym um, uh, how some of these practices seem to be seem to be continuing almost not in exactly the same way but but in a very very much in a very analogous way. I think I think um, and that, that that was sorry yeah I think that's absolutely this um, what you're saying is is inherent in in my approach to it but maybe coming from a slightly different perspective I do um, talk about this uh, almost touch which is something which Sam Belafonte yes, yeah. did a really wonderful radio show um, for RTM FM on um, where he talks about um, about uh, Michelangelo's God reaching out um, to Adam on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and this almost touch, which I think is something which you were touching on as well. Um, and I think that that um, absolutely when you have um, certain um, agency removed um, and all of your other senses come to the fore much more and that there's this um, possibility of reaching over that boundary so I think that that's something which is inherent in all of the artists that I that I that I talk about is that there's this impossibility of being um, with somebody else completely and Karen Barrett writes about this as well in her essay on touching which I isn't actually an article, but I was certainly thinking about when I was writing at this, the impossibility of being able to, to touch anything, touch somebody else, that we have these boundaries of the self and the other. Um, and that many of the artists that I look at are finding ways of, uh, of crossing over that boundary or attempting to cross that boundary. Mm -hmm. So um, in Donna Haraway's essay, Situated Knowledge, she writes about, um, boundaries being uh, materialized within social interactions and so that's a really important um, cornerstone for me is that you know if if boundaries are created by social interactions how do we change these social interactions mm -hmm. to be able to blur those boundaries between ourselves and the other um, and certainly I think that's felt in Manon Dubois work um, I also use the example of um, Kurt Schwitter's um, sound poem, Ursinates, which is performed by Adam Decoeur and Neil Luck, where one of them uses their mouth to articulate the words while the others, other blows the air through, through a tube so that together they kind of amalgamate in the one act. Um, I also, it didn't end up being in the article because I had written like twice as much and it had been cut down something much shorter. <laughs> yeah. But there's a really wonderful example that I really love. Um, that's uh, John Genet made a film in 1950, the only film that he ever made. Mm -hmm. And it's two people in, a, in prison, in um, solitary confinement, in separate cells. Oh, yeah. And so they're very much aware of their own separate, uh, being separated and their own boundaries, but they share a single cigarette through a small hole in the wall. Oh, and wonderful. so there's really wonderful moments of, of intimacy, which, attempt to go past those those boundaries of of oneself and the other and I think that's something where which um definitely happens in on the sick bed um I think I wrote in the article about my experience of being with my paternal grandfather and being with family in that space and you're so aware that you know you're not just uh the product of of um, chromosomes mixing, but that there's this oneness that you have with one another. And I think the same is true um, within uh, bondage practices is that you're no longer um, 
two separate entities, but you come together to be equally responsible for one another's one another's bodies. Um, I wanted to bring in two other examples. Good. Just Matt's looking like we need to wrap it up. No, no, not at all. No, really, you're okay. You're all right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. Um, there was two other works which I found that were were really interesting examples where the artists weren't necessarily thinking about um, dying or death, but that I feel, felt a real affiliation with when I was writing this article. Um, so the first is um, a based artist, Cassils, who uses the body as um, a kind of sculpture that can be molded. Um, and um, so they were born female, but has transformed their body into a masculine one. And um, he does this wonderful um, performance and has, it keeps re repeating, but it has been, he's been making it since 2012. Um, it's called Becoming an Image. And it's a completely dark space. And in the middle of the room, there's um, a mound of wet clay and he's punching and hitting and kicking this clay. And the audience only see his body uh, when it's lit by the flash of a camera. But at the same time, they can hear his body at work on the clay and this kind of malleability of the clay and the malleability of the body um, comes to have this relationship to the audience that are there as well. And so his body is kind of constructed in this shared space um, within these kind of tiny flashes of image, but with this shared um, breathing and sound of the space. And the other really wonderful work is um, two performances actually by Okri Okpowalasi. Um, the first, which is Bronx, uh, Bronx Gothic, where she performs generations of bodily gesture that have been accumulated um, through her mother and her grandmother and her great-grandmother um, to come to what is uh, seen as the female black body in contemporary society and the other performance is um, a collective performance which she did called sitting on a man's head where she um, asks the audience to walk silently and very slowly collectively in a space and she says that in that space we're compelled to listen to one another and um, and to be linked together and with that, she opened the performance with um, asking a series of questions to her audience to consider whilst they're in that kind of meditative, um, very slow, collective space. And one of them, she, uh, one of the questions she asks is, what do you carry that carries you? And I thought that was a really poignant and really wonderful way of thinking about the porosity of bodies and the porosity of consciousness blurring the the binary between um the mind and the body and the boundary of the self and the other because we all inevitably are carrying one another and i think that that really made me think about uh, that position of blurring vulnerability and um responsibility that is inherent within our everyday life all the time, as is um, that slow experience of dying. Um, one final example, perhaps, is one that's much more personal. Um, oh, also, actually, I just want to go back to something which I haven't mentioned, was um, this wonderful text by Dodi Bellemi, um, where she is uh, experiencing her mother's death over many months and doesn't have the language doesn't uh, doesn't um, yeah have the means to be able to compare that experience to anything else that she's experienced culturally and so she um, finds an affinity with the film E.T. Uh, in these moments where um, there isn't anything else for her to kind of um, latch onto and I think that's really interesting how you know we kind of are drawn to these uh, moments in popular culture that give us some little um, 
inkling of what what it might feel like to be with somebody on their deathbed and she writes this really wonderful line which is in the aura of death all the bullshit dissolves the one dying is vulnerable aching for touch the dying body pulls both of you into the present moment and that's so true of that's something which i i found really important in those two um scenarios that i've been looking at the, the deathbed and the and the bondage space is that you're so in the present moment um and so i had this really wonderful experience in the david roberts art foundation performance evening that was uh around this time last year where hannah perry had a performance where there was a man running on the spot and it had this frantic voiceover over the top and there was these few lines that were quoted from a dear friend of ours who had died a couple of years beforehand he was um, a musician and out of nowhere I wasn't expecting it these few lines were quoted and I knew that nobody else in that space I don't know how many it was ministry of sound I don't know how many uh, people were in that space it's got a huge capacity maybe 2,000 people or something I knew there was only three other people in that space that recognized those lines and knew it was quoted from our friend that had died and it was this amazing moment of being so completely present in the moment and feeling so completely tied to other people through that experience of loss and death um, that had nothing to do with Hannah Perry's work at all but, <laughs> it's, something, <laughs> but it's something that I think really um for me touched on that ability for art to find that um intimacy in the moment of dying thank you sophie we probably have really come to the end of the show so i'll i'll do it nicely and politely thank you both <laughs> for coming on the program and i'm talking about tom denman who's writer based in london um and his feature is in the current issue of Art Monthly, as is Sophie Williamson, Sophie J. Williamson. I presume you have the J, Sophie, because there's another Sophie Williamson or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if she's still around, to be honest. I haven't heard about oh, her. Anyway, <laughs> one, you can drop the J, maybe. But you, you are programme curator of exhibitions at Camden Art Centre. Are, are, you, are you the only one, or are there others? <laughs> no, there's two of us. There's two of us. Two of you. Yeah. Great. Okay. But listen, thank you for coming on the program. I hope it's recorded okay. And we will find out when I finish the Zoom and do come on again. Um, Sophie, you've been on before. And Tom, I think this was your first time, wasn't it? This is my first time, yes. Yeah. So we'll hope. I enjoyed it very much. I've enjoyed Good. it very much. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're, I'm sorry it's not more time, um, but um, hopefully right. li listeners will go and now read your features in Art Monthly. <laughs> You've been listening thank to the Art Monthly talk show on Resonance FM and on various podcasts available wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you both again. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you.